Y'all have pretty voices. Well, some of you. Um, hey, if I've never met you before, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church and glad to be able to gather with um, each other um, and all of us today. What I want you to do as we get started, I want you to think for a moment and then I'm going to have you share with the person next to you or near you um, or text somebody random on your phone and say, hey, here's the answer. And they will probably back and go, what was that about? I don't know. Who's someone, who is someone that's left a legacy on your life? Okay? Think for a moment. Now turn to the person next to you or near you or text some random person on your phone. Who is that person that has left a legacy on your life? Go ahead. All right, if you have not switched partner, if you have not had a chance to share yet, do so. Make sure not one person just monopolizes the entire the time. The all right, so since you all had a chance to share, I want to share a few. Uh, the first one that came to my mind is uh, Michael Jordan. Um, not at all. Be- Why is that funny, Patty? You're like, Ron's like, Patty, you had one job to do. Don't laugh. Michael Jordan. And I remember as a little kid, we had this uh, farm, our big farmhouse, giant kitchen. Um, And so what I would do is that was my basketball court. That was also my hockey arena. Um, That was my baseball field. Uh, Mom had a lot of broken dishes in that kitchen. Um, But Michael Jordan left a big legacy because I remember we had this archway going to our back little utility room. And I would treat that like that was the goal. And I would say this little nick in the ground that was actually from me roller skating in the kitchen. Um, And I would jump from that like the free throw line mimicking uh, MJ's famous dunk there from the free throw line. So that left a legacy. Um, Another individual that left a legacy, I'll show you a picture of him. It's my uh, dear friend. Jason. Um, A few years ago, Jason passed, but I remember um, the legacy that Jason left on my life was a huge one because as a mentor, um, I was 26 years old when I met Jason. Um, Jason taught me a lot um, about life, um, about being a husband, about being in ministry, and you can also tell by this picture, Jason and I were professionals at taking pictures together. Um, the next, and then the next one that oh, I think of legacy, I think very easily of my grandparents. So this is my grandparents, and um, they left a legacy in so many ways, but very specifically, uh, my grandpa and grandma, they left a legacy of seeing what it looked like on an everyday, every week basis, of really truly living a life that is dedicated and centered on Jesus. Um, that is one of the biggest legacies that my grandparents left. Um, and over the last month, if you've been with us or if, you're, if this is your first time here, again, we're glad you're here. What we've been doing is we've been talking of uh, the, the different pastors on staff about some anchors of faith. About anchors in faith and so maybe some specific scripture passages that have been anchors for faith for them. And initially when I think of that, um, I go to an anchor that my grandma gave me. Um, and it was this. She would come up to me, she would look me, look me in the face and say, TJ, I'm going to hit you with my pocketbook. Um, that's what my grandma called her purse. And she wasn't usually like saying it to my face. It was like an anchor of faith um, because my grandma was like four foot nothing, um, but she was terrifying. 
okay? She would go toe-to-toe with any of you in the room, and yes, you would lose, okay? Um, Grandma was fierce, but one of the anchors um, beyond the threat of a pocketbook um, is found in a lot of places in Joshua 1. Um, when God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, and I can still hear in my grandma's sweet little voice of running, me running around, or I remember even one time running through the halls of our church, going to the gym, and my grandma saying, oh, TJ, remember, be strong and courageous. Yeah, 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 grandma, and then just running. But that was an anchor of faith for me left for my grandma because I know who it came from and then also what it was anchored to. It was a prayer of her, of her for me all of my life. But yet over the last 10 years, there has been a very specific anchor that I want to share this morning. And hopefully it is an encouragement to you. It's a hope for you that is anchored again in Scripture in so many places. But very specifically over the last 10 years, it's something that has come up. Um, and it's been an anchor for me because I know it comes up in unexpected places. Um, it comes up in unanticipated times when I'm like, where in the, why is that there? Like, I can anticipate the anchor from my grandparent, my, my grandma, um, when I'm going up to something scary or kind of something, God's saying, hey, go do this. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I really want to. And I hear my grandma's voice, be strong and courageous. And I'm like, okay, that anchor in faith. But this anchor is something that's come up in relationships. It's come up in friendships. It's come up in conflicts, it's come up in hardships, it's come up in challenges when I'm alone, when I'm with others, and probably a lot of other times this anchor has come up in my life um, that I can't remember because I had way too many head injuries as a child. But this anchor is this anchor of peace, an anchor of peace. And about 10 years ago, I want to kind of set a setting a little bit of understanding what was going on in the life of TJ. So my wife Hannah and I, about 10 years ago, um, we had been married for three years at that point. Three years at that point, and we had recently moved from Indiana, or not, not we, before that, when we got married, we moved from Indiana to a suburb of Washington, D.C., uh, for to be at a church there. And then about two and a half years in, we were like, we need to go home. Um, we need to go home because being honest and transparent, our marriage was in not great condition. Um, my wife and I, um, we were both working at separate churches, doing ministry and worshiping entirely apart for about a year and a half to two years. It took a huge toll on us. And at that point, we were like, we need to go home. So we find ourselves, 10 years ago, we find ourselves in a new place, a new community, new people, really honestly knew absolutely everything. And this is where this is where specifically kind of just setting this time and kind of set this time stamp in your head, this is where my buddy Jason comes into the picture that I'll share a little bit later. Jason, at that time, when I came in 10 years ago to the position at, uh, at my last church, Jason had been that position. I was there as a youth pastor. Jason had been the youth pastor for 15 years before me, and I come in into this new role. And I remember talking with him about this this longing for peace in so many, so many times, friends. Like, it would, and again, I was like, why is this coming up, Jason? Like, this is in every possible place. And I want peace. I want peace for my marriage. I want peace for my soul. I want peace in my mind. I want peace in my work. And I remember even using this phrase, this pursuit of peace is what I felt on. And I told him, I was like, man, that would be a really good book. And he's like, yeah, it would. You should write it. And I was like, no, but that would be a ball and book. 
And I remember so much of just this peace and this longing for it because it's something that all of us want for ourselves, right? We feel that we want peace when things feel chaotic around us. We want it when we're getting attacked, when, we're getting hurt, when we feel hurt. We want it when relationships are tense or when there's conflict. We want it when things are uncertain or we feel insecure. And I think David in Psalm chapter 57 hits it really, like, hits the nail on the head. When he says this, he says, my enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a they have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Like David understands that. I am what? It said, weary from distress, tired. Ten years ago, I look back and I go, man, was I weary from distress? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> like, I sit there and I'm like, my soul, my mind, everywhere, I was just like, I'm so tired. I just want peace. And when you and I are longing for peace, that sums it up, right? Because I look at times in my life where I have felt what David's felt, what David articulates there, of being weary from distress and just longing for one moment. Have you ever had one of those moments? When you just said, like, I just need one minute. With the circumstances or hardships going on around you, you found yourself just going, can I get one minute? <laughs> I remember that actually. It was a few years ago. Um, it was a few years ago when I found myself in a garage having one of those moments where I felt like everything was just piling on top of stuff. Have you felt that? Like one thing happens and then another thing happens and then another thing happens and you're just like, oh, good night. Like it just seems to pile on top. Of circumstances, hardships, relational stress, conflict, attack, and hurt. That is all what was getting piled on on top about a few years ago. And I found myself that this distress had gotten so heavy and so wearisome for my soul that I literally yelled out. I yelled that out. I went, can I get one moment? By myself, I looked around to make sure anybody was going to be alive. TJ's lost his mind again. But I literally sat there and my soul was so weary from distress that I literally verbalized, can I get one moment? Now, to know a little bit about me, that is not normal. Like, I feel like for myself, some of my close friends are probably like, hey, he's not that aware of himself. Um, but for me, I feel like I, I, and I, I introspected when it looks at my emotions. I have worked really hard over the, last few, over the last years to just introspect and examine, like, okay, why are you feeling this? What is this articulating in you? What is this bringing up before I have an outburst? Before I have an outburst or something like that. So this moment in the garage is not typical for TJ. Okay, this is not typical for me to get to the point of distress to yell out as a cry for peace. My yell, my cry for that time for peace was because there was attack just continually hitting my wife and I. I wanted circumstances, honestly, to chill out for a second. And instead, what I felt like was continuing to happen was the opposite. I wasn't experiencing relief. And you and I know that 
maybe when there's circumstances or hardships going on, we find ourselves in that saying, can I get one moment? But a lot of times other factors and circumstances don't necessarily hear that or agree with that or want to do that because there's a lot of other factors that are going on beyond our desires. And things just continue to pile on. So then what does that leave us to do? And that anchor of peace actually takes me in Psalm 57, it takes me to the setting of Psalm 57. Um, This anchor of seeing this example in David's life has been a huge, like huge as all caps and any possible emojis you can put around it, huge anchor in my life. Because the setting of Psalm 57, friends, if you don't know this, David is writing this psalm in the midst of being hunted by King Saul. He's hiding in a cave with his men. Because Saul has gathered all of his troops and he is going and trying to hunt down David. Because the reason for that is David has been picked and chosen by God to be the next king of Israel. Saul knows that. David knows that. So Saul isn't too happy that David is still out and about. He's like, that's a threat to my kingship. Like, that's a threat to my authority every bit. He is, David is loved by the people. Like, even all the girls are like, oh, he's so handsome. And they're like just freaking out about David. He has such popularity. And so Saul's thinking there, going, okay, David's got to go bye-bye. Like, he's he's got to go. And so Saul, multiple times, he multiple, multiple times tries to kill David, throws spears at him. And even so much so that now David has found himself in the setting of Psalm 57, has found himself in a cave because he got a tip from Saul's son, Jonathan, to say, hey, you need to go. Dad's like really, really serious. He's gathering armies now and like he's going to hunt after you. And David then goes and he finds himself in the cave when he's writing Psalm 57. And then if you, this is one of the passages, that uh, this story is one that, so I've been in student ministry specifically over the last 16 years, and I love, I love teaching 1 Samuel 24. I love teaching this story um, in this event because um, if you've ever found that the Bible may be dull and boring, um, look at and understand and see what happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. It says that Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. Now, we're all adults in the room. He's going to poop. Like, he's like, you're like, oh, he just had poop from the stage. Yes. He's going in to relieve himself. So he goes in there. David happens to be hiding out in the exact same cave that Saul goes into. David's men have been away from their families. They're getting attacked. They're feeling the stress. And then here walks in Saul <laughs> goes into this cave. He thinks nobody's in there. They're all hiding out to relieve himself. Saul's, or David's men even say, dude, you in them. He doesn't even know you're here. In his life, like, just take his life, kill him, and we can go home and everything's hunky-dory. We can go back. We can stop being on the run. You can become king. You can get what you ultimately God know. You know God is going to put there. But what happens is this, is David goes up to Saul while he's relieving himself. He cuts a small piece of his robe off. And then as Saul doesn't even recognize that. How? I have no idea. Uh, But Saul gets up, walks out of the cave, and then goes. And then David ends up, he doesn't just stay hidden. He goes up to the cave and he goes, hey, hi, it's me. 
Saul goes, David, is that you? And he's like, yes, it is me, Lord. Um, David, and then he says this in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10. It says, this very day you can see with your own eyes that it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave, but I spared you. For I said, this is the God, I will never, be, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. That phrase, he is the Lord's anointed one. That even within hardships and things going on in circumstances when peace feels absolutely so distant, we can see and we can understand and see how where David put his hope, where he put his faith and his peace and his source of peace, it was in God. For him to be able to just a few verses later, look at Psalm 57 verse 9. This is right after he has said, I am weary from distress. He says, I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Maybe a step for you, maybe a practical one for all of us, is that in the times of hardships and circumstances, maybe anchor yourself in some of the Psalms. Maybe go back and say, you know what, when there's a hardship or thing going on in my life, I'm going to go and I'm going to anchor myself in the peace of what David is saying. David has this balance. If he is, he's having that moment in verse 6. Can I get one moment? But then just a few verses later, he's like, I will thank you for your unfailing love is as high as the heaven. He's choosing to shift his eyes back to God for peace in the midst of his circumstances. Now, one of the connecting anchors here for peace within this conflict, this circumstances for David and Saul, and in my life, is I can I also go to um, again David's interaction with Saul was a huge part of that pursuit of peace for me, and continually is. Um, spoiler book, spoiler alert. If you want to write it, knock yourself out. But I'm taking 50 percent of your profits. Um, the whole thing, like my mind, as I thought I'm like within that pursuit of peace, was just like, man, just seeing the consistent pursuit of peace that David had when he interacted with Saul. Um, even the care that he had for Jonathan um, and Jonathan's son later on. You see David's just relentless pursuit of Jesus, uh, or pursuit of God for him to be the source of peace. Even when relationships and everything, circumstances are difficult. And I remember about nine years ago, right when I got to, um, to my last church, I remember having a period of that, can I get a moment, but it was a little bit different thing. Um, the weariness was from consistent conflict and stress and just tension in relationships. So like I said earlier, I was new to this community and new to this ministry setting um, that my buddy Jason had filled this position directly for 15 years. Um, and Jason, just, he was an incredible youth pastor. Like, seeing the, the hearing stories from students and the, seeing the web of people that um, had him in that position and that role and just kind of in their lives, you begin to see just how clearly, how incredible he was um, at pointing students very specifically to Jesus. And so coming in, I felt all sorts of like, I was 26, 27 years old, so you can do the math to figure out how old I am, okay? Um, but he, I'm 26, 27 years old, and I'm coming in to fill this seat and this position of an individual that's left a legacy so, so deep. Um, and I remember specifically when we were driving around in Jason's envoy in town, um, and he was, 
he was, we were, he was like, oh, hey, this is this part of the town. This is where these groups of students hang out. And this is what this is going on, the history of the town and everything. In the midst of that, I was talking to him. And he said, TJ, he said, this is my promise to you. He said, if you come here, I will do everything I can for you to succeed more than I ever did. And he fulfilled that promise. But that did not make the first year, year and a half hunky-dory and fantastic. Within the first year, I had two very specific, very intense conflicts with individuals within the church. Not at all because I was 26, 27 years old. Not at all because they hated my name and they were like, why do you have two letters? That's stupid. Not at all for that stuff. I literally, I'm going to Jason, I'm like, dude, what, like, what did I do? Or what did you do? Like, why am I feeling this and do this? And he looks at me and he tells me this. He said, TJ, it doesn't matter whoever is in your seat. Jesus could be in your seat and they're still going to be ticked at him. It has nothing to do with you. This is bigger than you, but you can do something. You can choose how on how to respond in this conflict with these individuals. These two anchors, these two anchors here within, when we talk about wanting peace within relationships, these two, these two anchors, friends, are the, my biggest prayers and hopes for you. This is, these are two anchors that have shaped and continually shape me, how I lead my teams, how I lead our students, how I lead my family, anything. This is one of the two anchors. In Matthew 18, Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20, we see a beautiful anchor of how we can pursue peace within relationships. When Jesus has asked from his disciples saying, hey, how do we get along with other people? How do we do that? He doesn't speak in parables. He flat out tells them. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, if you're experiencing some peace and some conflict, man, I don't know how, to, how do I talk to him. I want to really just go bash him to someone else. But how, man, I don't really feel right with that. I encourage you, rather I beg you to go read Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. You're going to see Jesus' heart in this. In Matthew 18, verse 20, we see the promise that Jesus says for there I am also in Matthew 18. We take that to corporate gatherings of when two and three or more are gathered, there I am also. And we're like, oh, nice. That's in the context of Jesus talking about conflict with another brother or sister. And that was an anchor in peace for me because I saw that when Jason was just, I saw continually, and it, through his encouragement, is saying, TJ, anchor yourself in Matthew 18. Anchor yourself in Matthew 18. I know they are saying this. I know that it's not true. I know what it's taking a toll on you. But continue to pursue them with peace because this is what Jesus commands us and asks us to do. But that beautiful promise of verse 20 where it says, for I am there also. How can we pursue, relation, pursue peace in relationship when there's conflict? Jesus gives us an example and he also gives us a promise. He says, I'm going to be there. I saw both of those relationships reconciled. Not at all because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. That I can share with you circumstances and other stuff to be able to say, how in the world was that possible? I have no idea. Outside of that was Jesus working. And then the other anchor of peace when I'm looking at relationships is Romans 12, verses 18. Verse 18. Where it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
You know, and I know in relationships, we can't control the other person as much as we want to. (laughs) We can't control what they say. We can't control what they think. We can't control any of the things outside of that. What we can control is we can control us and how we react and what we do. And so Romans 12, 18, it became very, very quickly an anchor for me. Because I sat there and I was like, man, now in this relationship, what can I do? Now, I also know, though, that peace with someone who has hurt you may be, it may look different. It may be establishing boundaries. It may be resting in the peace with God. It may be resting and saying, God, I'm trying to be judge here, but I know you are just. You are going to be right. You will bring justice. But ultimately resting in that, that I am safe with him. And in that, in that resting in safety with him, that's where we begin to find healing. See, when I anchor myself in these two anchors when looking at pursuing peace in relationships, because we all have it, whether it's friends, children, teachers, coaches, bosses, whoever it is, we are all constantly in relationships because that's how God wired us. And then through, through his word, he doesn't just say, well, figure it out. He gives us some very, very incredible, powerful application for us. And for me, it was Matthew, eight, Matthew 18 and then Romans 12. Those two very specifically I anchor myself to because that's where I find that I begin to experience peace and conflict and intention. Even if it doesn't end up being reconciled, I still can have peace. Peace does not mean Peace does not mean specific reconciliation with the relationship. It may be some safety. That reconciliation just may be different. You're not going to be besties and then walking out and having coffee with each other. Like, it may say, you know what? I'm at peace within this relationship, within this brother, with this brother or sister, or with this friend, or with this coach, or with this teacher or boss, because I can do as much as I can do. And that Romans 12, 18 passage has been such an anchor for me because it, God, honestly, that is the one of them that he just brings up consistently. He's like, TJ, as far as it depends on you. And I'm like, why can't the other person do something here? Like, because he's like, you can't control that. I can. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. And he's like, yeah, kind of sometimes is for you. But it doesn't mean it's not true, right? That Romans 12, 18 of as far as it depends on you because I crave peace within myself. Like, a lot, um, even when I, um, when, I, when I plan out like our ministry calendar or look saying, oh, what do we want to do? Um, my mark, my, my feeling for me is when, I've, when I'm at peace with it. And I finally figured out and understood more about why this is a big deal. Um, because a few years ago, um, my wife and I were in, a small, or in our small group and we did a study and we did it using a tool called the Enneagram. Now, for some of you, you just went, Bleh, or you're like, Ennea, What? Enneagram is a tool, it's an assessment that individuals can go, and it specifically looks at what is like within world, things that go on in our world around us, and very specifically our emotion on how we engage with that. Now again, this is a tool. I remember even um, when I was interviewing for the job that Jason ended up hiring me for, um, I had to take a couple assessments like that. And I remember telling Hannah, if I don't get this job because of this stupid Myers-Briggs, I swear, but looking at the Enneagram, this was something that was huge because it turned out really helpful for me. Because I found out things like this, um, that when my emotions, um, it helps me to have things in some sort of order. <laughs> so my friends and family in the room, you're like, ding, ding, 
that's right on the head. Um, some people say that uh, people say that I am loyal, understanding, funny, and compassionate. Jackpot. Um, being sure I've made the right decision is almost impossible. <laughs> yes. Um, I remember even right after this, um, uh, the angst and stuff that I would feel. This assessment, what it does is it even points out, here's your one specific big catch-up for you. They even call it in this, they call it your sin. And you're like, Ugh, that's gross. The terminology. But this is the big kind of, this is what you're going to wrestle with. Uh, for me, it says fear. Now, not like boo, like that kind of fear. Um, I love scaring people. My grandma paid the price for that sucker. Fear is a huge deal for me, but fear specifically in the form of angst. Now, when you think of angst, what is angst not? Oh, what angst is not peace. Um, I remember right after taking this a silly thing, we were literally take the study, we're talking about it in our, um, in our small group, and I'm picking furniture for our student ministry area here, um, these chairs. Oh my gosh, I look back and I, I, I've apologized tenfold to my wife. I remember going, I'm like, well, what about this chair? And looking at, what about that chair? Oh, well, this one. And they literally, you look, go, TJ, they look the same. But for me, I was in this big pursuit of peace because, again, coming to making sure that I had the right decision is almost impossible. Um, she looks at me and says, TJ, I've already given you the input that you've asked for. It's a chair. It's going to go under table. Um, Sixth to twelfth graders are going to put their butt on it. Um, they don't really care as much as you care. Um, I've given your input. Make a decision. And I was just like, I can't. <laughs> now, some of you look at me and you're like, you're a psychopath. For me, that again, that peace is a huge deal because this is what peace brings to me. Peace brings security to me. Peace, is a, peace and security are a huge, huge deal. Like this kind of peace. Look at Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside, powerful, beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You will honor me by anointing my head with oil. Your cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Man, I read that and I'm like, that's safe. I feel most at peace and most safe with him. Because when I focus on him, Things get clearer. Understanding gets broad. I I feel calmer and everything else because why I am with him. I remember being in college, went on a mission trip to West Africa. Um, My first mission trip ever. Um, And I could decide, oh, let's just go to Africa. Why not? And going to, my mom, my mom was just like, TJ, you're going to die over there. And I'm like, mom, no, I'm not. I'm fine. She's like, you're going to die. And here's my entire list of how you are going to die. A mosquito is going to come and suck your blood, as sweet as it is, and you are going to die from eight billion different other diseases. And I'm like, mom, I'll wear a high deet, like whatever. But I remember specifically going and feeling that peace that God brings very tangibly. Um, we were in the center, we went to this market one of the days, and I was on this team, it was me, the professor, we were the guys on the trip, and then we had 12 girls, 
And in a culture, in that, in that place, in that culture, that showed wealth and status, both for the professor and for me. So I'm strutting around this market, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, but they saw me in that way, and I remember literally walking around this market in West Africa, first time ever being out of the country and in this place, and I'm absolutely terrified. And we're in the center of this market, walking around, and this merchant comes over, grabs me, grabs me by the back of the arm, says, oh, hey, come over here, pulls me, grabs my wrist, pulls it out in front of him. He goes, you bleed, I bleed. And I'm like, mom, this is on your list. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is where T.J. Nolan dies. My mom's going to come over here and it is gonna, she's going to call that dude and say, I have a certain set of skills. But I am going, this is going to be bad. So we get, it's getting crazy. It's getting way more intense. And the, the team leader sees this. And then the, the, the local people we're with come. They get us and they say, hey, let's, let's get back to the car. And I'm like, thank, thank you. We get back to the car and it's right in the center of this market and at this old Catholic church. Um, we go and they weren't allowed to go in there. We go in there and we walk inside the church. I, very, I can vividly remember this. had this big like cross like set up with their walkways. I go in and right on the center before stepping into the church, it says Maohome. It means God's home. Going and sitting down in the pew and sitting there in the midst of all of this chaos of immediately feeling peace. See, friends, when you and me, when we are craving for peace for ourselves, God gives us very tangible ways. And one of the biggest things is being able to find safety in him. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 14 when he gives his disciples this promise. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And, that, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So how can you and I, how can we experience peace? Two big ways. This is, these are, the, these are the, and I don't say this at all from, this is just my life. This is how I experience peace in these two big ways. One, remember what's true about God. That will never change. That will absolutely never change. Even in the verses before this, his disciples are asking him, going, hey, like, how do we know? Like, how do we know you are from the Father and all these things? And he says in verses 10 through 11, and right in, the, in John chapter 14, do you not, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. Think of that this way. Even as I feel blank, I know God is blank. Even as I experience blank, I know God is blank. For you, being able to say this is, even though I'm experiencing or feeling this, but this is how I know God is who he is. The second one, be breathe in peace. Breathe in peace. Look at, look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience what? God's peace. 
You'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Focusing on him, allowing him to remembering who he is, brings clarity, and it gives us something the world absolutely cannot give. Maybe this for you, maybe this baby through prayer, maybe it's through meditation, through memorization, wherever it may be. For you, wherever it is that you can say, this is how I can breathe in peace and experience this for myself. For me, music's a huge part of that. This last year, we've went through some really like, kind of difficult conversations with our high school students and our middle school students. We've talked about suicide. We've talked about anxiety and worry. We've, been, we've talked about stuff that really brings up a whole lot of anxiety in that. One of the things we gave them as a tool, we were just like, hey, here's a playlist called Worry to Worship. They can go. When they feel worry, when they feel angst, when they feel fear, they can go and they can play that playlist to center them, focus, and be able to breathe in and experience what God wants for them. Because, again, from my mind, I look at when I pursue a peace, I go to Romans 12, 18. And this is how I, for me, I go, when I look at these, of I can remember what's true about God and I can breathe in peace in light of Romans 12, 18. That I can do. You can do. We can do. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you give us things that this world absolutely does not understand. So, Father, I pray that this morning we as a body, as your kids, can experience a peace, God, that is only and solely from you. We love you so much. We thank you that you are in the midst of highest of highs and lowest of lows. In the highest mountaintops and the lowest valleys, you are there. Nothing separates you from us. Nothing separates us from you. So, God, we thank you. And this morning, I pray that for all of any of us in the room, that we're sitting there, we're like, man, I want to experience this peace. Maybe by its starting a relationship with you. Saying, God, I want, I want that. I've been pursuing other things instead of you, and I want to pursue a relationship with you. Would you help me take that next step? And if that's the case, if that's you, please come talk to us. But God, we just thank you so much for who you are. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.